Good morning. morning. Open your Bibles to Psalm 26. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get you one. Again, we'll be covering uh, Psalms probably all the way to, I don't know, 34, maybe, I think, I can't remember, Psalm 26, but we'll be in the Psalms for a while. The word of the Lord, vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity and have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind, for your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. I do not sit with the worthless or associate with the hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers, and I do not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, Lord, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wondrous works. Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides. Do not destroy me along with sinners or my life along with men of bloodshed and whose hands are evil schemes, and whose right hands are filled with bribes. But I live with integrity. Redeem me, and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. I will bless the Lord in the assemblies. Lord, thank you for your word. We desperately uh, need your word. We need truth. We need grace. We need rest. We spend every week, Lord, as, as, as pilgrims, uh, kind of plodding through this life, Lord. We have good days and bad days and days that are half good and half bad or all bad or all good and peaks and valleys, temptations, Lord, sin. Um, it's good to gather together with fellow sinner saints, Lord, to hear your word and to receive grace, Lord. Help us, uh, even, even as we did, just even announced that there are opportunities to serve, Lord, we are a church that is first and foremost about receiving and resting uh, in you. And um, I pray everything that we do would be from that place, Lord. Uh, give us that, that reminder uh, of rest that we have in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. So the title for this psalm, if you like titles, I don't, is Make Everything Right, Lord. Make Everything Right, Lord. And as with virtually every single psalm, um, the doctrine of God, and, and I might say this so much that, that it becomes uh, uh, rote. Is that the right word? All right. Um, it, that, that it, you're just like, yeah, you're saying that same thing again, but it's, it's so important. The doctrine of God is so important. What we think about God is, is literally the most important thing that we can think about when we open his word. And it's, it's what our view of God, is God just the big man upstairs? Is God angry at me? Is, is when we think of God as our father, what do you think of, what is, what is the word father, what does that even conjure up in your brain? First and foremost, it's going to remind us of our own fathers, but we got to be careful uh, that we don't think of God as our father, as like our father, unless our father, unless we're thinking about all the good things. And even when we think about the good things of our own fathers, we do know that God is infinitely better than the good of any of us as fathers or who have good fathers, right? Um, is he 
is God, when we think about God, is he just like us, only a lot stronger? Is he like Captain America? Um, most of us, I think, when we think about God and we think about our lives, we just think that he's, he's, he's tired. He's tired of us. He's tired of us. We're always coming to him, and we're always flailing and, and falling and, and asking for forgiveness for the same sin or, or different sins. And I, I think sometimes we just think that God is just so disappointed in us. Um, man, these things, they color every single aspect of the scriptures that we read. David, though, he, his doctrine of God is pristine, so right, so true. And so even when he opens up a psalm, I shouldn't even say even when, it should be the, the when we, when we cry out to God, one of the one of the most important things to do before we even do that, uh, develop a pattern of it, is just think about who God is. And here, David grounds this desperate prayer for vindication, to, for everything to be made right, for himself to be made right, for justice for the evildoers, for mercy and grace in his own life. He grounds it in the doctrine of God. He, we, just in a quick overview, you, you get this like, God is just, God is merciful, God is faithful, God is love, God never changes, God's word is true, God saves, God redeems, God is gracious because God is good. And man, when we have that stuff going on in our brains as we pray, man, as we have that going on in our brains as we come to the scriptures, as we have that going on in our brains as we fellowship with one another, as we have that going on in our brains as we go out into the world, as we have that going on in our brains as we deal with just life's circumstances. What a balm to the soul. We get, we get a, we, knowing who God is is truly how we go through this life, both sorrowful and yet rejoicing. I mean, we could just go on and on, knowing that God is sovereign alone, just, man, that he's, and I always like to remind people in my own heart that when you think of God being sovereign in absolute total control of everything that has ever happened, that is happening, and that will happen, but then couple that with the fact that he is good, you're basically prepared as a, as a believer to go through this life never quite losing your way, never quite falling down to where you can never give up, never quite suffering without always a, a glimmer of joy and, and a thread of hope, because we know, we know God wins. We know God wins the day. We know God gets glory. And if God wins, then his people win. And so David, this, this psalm is simple, it's straightforward, but it is just so rich with how the people of God, again, can just call out to God and actually call out to God in confidence. And, and it's not like, our prayers are not like wish prayers. Our prayers, if they're really grounded on who God is, we can have confidence, listen to this, we can have confidence that God is going to answer our prayers whether we see it in this lifetime or not. Whether it, God gets all the glory for the yeses, of course. God gets all the glory for all the, the no's to our prayers. We're not going to look back on this life and and see that, man, it, our life would have been so much better if God would have done that thing or this thing. Or why did he say no to that prayer? No, we're going to see when he said no to our prayers, it was the best possible thing that could have happened in our life. 
And although we may not see it in the muck and the mire of this life and in the muck and the mire of our own stinking thinking and in the muck and the mire of our own just sinful natures and not fully, obviously, ever understanding who God is. I mean, we never will ever, ever understand fully who God is, not even the next life. An attribute of God is that he's incomprehensible, which means we can know right and true things about God, but because he's infinite, we will never, ever plumb the depths of who God is. And so because of that, in light of our circumstances and in light of our, our own just inadequacies, I mean, we, he's the creator, we're the creatures, he's infinite, we're finite. Man, it's so good to just grasp that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is merciful. I can't fully grasp it, but I can believe it, even though the circumstances in life are oftentimes telling me the exact opposite. Instead of being totally, you know, curse God and die frustrated at, at the way God is doing things, we can just trust him. And we, 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 we grow in our joy and our hope and our patience. And so vindicate me is the first little prayer. And this is just a prayer for justice. This is a prove me, me being David, prove me, David says, prove me to be right. I, we often don't pray like this. I think we think we're not even allowed to pray like this. I don't think we're even allowed to say some of the stuff that David says here. And he says, vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. How dare David come to the Lord like that? Who, who does he think he is? Ah, oh, David coming to the throne of grace boldly. That's what he's doing. And every single believer, since we know every single believer, and I know this is contrary to most of American thought life in the Christian church today, that is being sanctified, I, I think we don't think we are, and I think we got to do a lot of work to get sanctified, and we got to prove we're being sanctified, and yet the scriptures clearly, clearly proclaim that those who are justified are sanctified, and those who, those who are justified are being sanctified, and one day will be glorified. Now, I know sometimes it doesn't look like you're being sanctified. That's okay. That, that's the very means God is sanctifying you. God works all things out for good. Dare I say, and I only say dare I say because I could be misunderstood, God even works out the very sin in your life for your own good. Because as God, and you're like, whoa, 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 how do, what does that even look like? Well, he works out repentance. He, he, he grows you. He, you learn basically, what, how do we learn primarily in life? From making mistakes. And it's the same thing with the Christian life. What is David saying here? What is David not saying here? Well, we know he's saying, vindicate me, all right? Make it right, Lord. Make, like, like, prove me to be the right in whatever situation this is in. And we know that David's always in a situation. But we also know that David's not in, although his situations are like ours, they're, a lot of times they're unlike ours in the sense that usually his life is on the line, right? But even when his life is on the line, there's still the gossip and the backbiting and the slander, all right? And David says, vindicate me. And here, listen, here what he says, because I have lived with integrity. Perfect integrity? Of course not. David's not an idiot. David's not trying to ultimately ground, and we're going to see this in the next verse, the fact that his vindication should come solely from the fact that, what, he's lived a perfect life? No. But again, back to go full circle, because I lost my train of thought. David is being sanctified, we're being sanctified, and if we're being sanctified, every one of us that is a, a son or a daughter of the King Most High can say we're living lives of, 
basic integrity. What does that look like? It looks like that when we are not living with integrity, that the Holy Spirit convicts us and we repent. And we, we ask God to forgive, and we go to our fellow brothers and sisters who we wrong, and we say, forgive me. That's how we live with integrity, because we're, we don't live with perfect integrity. And then when David says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering, he's never wavered? Of course that's not true. But every single believer that is here today, worshiping the triune God with the people of God, their overall life, listen, this should just bless you. Your life is a life, ultimately, of one that is not wavering. Yes, you might have wavered here and there. Yes, you might have doubted here and there. Yes, you might have even had seasons, not just an hour or a minute. Of course, but if you are a believer and you are here today, then your life to this point, all right, is summed up as one of integrity and one that is without wavering and trusting the Lord. This isn't a perfect integrity. This isn't a perfect trusting. This isn't a perfect, like, without wavering. This is just plodding, putting one step in front of the other, rejoicing a little bit along the way, picking yourself up, pleading to God for mercy and grace. It's not, it's not perfect. And I know oftentimes it looks ugly, but it's actually just so beautiful because it's God's way. It's how God saves his people. It's how God sanctifies his people. This is not how we would sanctify ourselves. If we could have full power to sanctify ourselves, we would, be, we would just want to make everything about our own lives perfect. And yet that's not, that's, that's not God's ways. That, that's in store, but that's, that's for the next life. That's glorification. Right now we're just pilgrims plodding through. And so vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity. We should be able to say this. We really should. And if we can't, then either our minds need renewed about what a Christian is, or, or maybe we just got some serious sin we need to repent of, or maybe we need to be born again. But every believer has got to get to a place where they can say, vindicate me, whatever situation they need vindicated in. And, and, and we, this is how you come to the throne of grace boldly. Vindicate me, Lord, because although I haven't lived a life of perfect integrity, I'm I'm living a life of integrity. Make it right, Lord. Make everything right. Because although I don't perfectly trust in you, I do trust in you. And, and it's not about how big my integrity is. And it's not how big my trust is, but it's there. And Lord, make it all right because I have lived a life up to this point without wavering. Why? Because here I am. Here I am. As sometimes weak as it is, here I am still relying and trusting and repenting and believing in you. And so, David, vindicate me, prove me to be in the right. Point number two, examine me. So, number one is, you prove me to be in the right. And I love this, and this is how we, if we were doubting, this is how we know David's not talking about perfection in the first verse. Because then he's like, hey, 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 time out. J justice, I'm praying for justice there. Make me right, or make, make it right. Prove me to be in the right in that situation. And then immediately on the heels, he's like, examine me. And we know that when we ask the Lord to examine us, what are we praying for? Are we praying for justice? No, 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 not today. We're praying for mercy, and we are praying for grace. And so in one sense, it's, it's proved me to be in the right in this situation. They're saying things about me. They're lying. They're wrong. What they think is going on is not what's going on. And then he's like, Oh, Lord, 
make, make, make that right, but Lord, make me right. Make, make me right. Sanctify me. I need mercy. I need grace. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind, for your faithful love guides me. Ah, there's the, there's the grounding. There's the foundation. There's the grounding and the foundation of his integrity, of his trusting, of his not wavering, of him being able to come and say, I mean, again, here we could be like, David, what are you doing? So first you come to the Lord, like, and it kind of is like, I'm, I'm living this way, so you do that. And now you're asking the Lord to try you? You're asking the God of gods and creator of heaven and earth to examine you? What are you, what are you doing? Oh, for your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. So it's a, it's a prayer that is grounded in ultimately God's faithful love. Um, it's, it's a prayer where, you know, the unbeliever says only God can judge me, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> do they know what they're saying? God will judge the unbeliever. But the, the Christian should, when the Christian should be able to say, only God can judge me. And it not be ultimately a place of fear, although we even talked about the fear of the Lord in Psalm 25. There's a healthy fear of the Lord, and I don't want to rob it of what fear means. Yes, it's trust, and yes, it's reverence in God, but he is the God of gods, the God of everything, the all-powerful one. There is a healthy fear. He could wipe us all out at one time, but what do we know? It's not going to happen for his children. And so when, when we think about exam, the Lord examining us, this is, this is a, uh, a paradigm shift for maybe every single one of us is in this room is we don't have to be afraid. We don't have, I mean, when we think about the Lord examining us, we, we get to actually, again, this is coming to the throne of, of grace boldly. This is a place where we just get to be like with joy and peace, knowing God is our father. I mean, listen to what Paul says. A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. What's Paul saying? Only God can judge me. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. That's a good point. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then, listen to this. I think we have these verses backwards. And then praise will come to each one from God. That's fascinating. God's, we know what God finds when he examines us, when he examines us. We know what he finds, and, and yet, what, what, what is there that he could find that would not make me freak out about him examining me? What, what, where, where's the good thing that when, that when I think about God examining me, that I actually, I, I'm cool with it, and I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually praying that he would? What, what is it? It's Christ. It's Christ. He finds Christ in us. 
And we just get a rest when we think of God examining our life. So we all come from a hyper self-examination culture. Most of us do, where everything is about just this like constantly staring at your navel and trying to get inside your brain to find out how bad of a person you are before you can come to church or before you can take communion. And that same culture also, even to the brothers and sisters in Christ, has the examine of God something to be feared. No, if, if, if we're standing before God naked with, without Christ, then of course we're not asking God to examine us. But when our righteousness is in another and we are united to another, Christ, then we just, we just welcome God. And so even when he does talk about like the things that aren't good, he's not judging us. He's not condemning us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if... This is what I want us to walk away with in this section, okay? I'm going to read it. I might read it again. But please, please today hear what I'm about ready to say. The examination and judgment of God on your life, dear brother, dear sister, at this very moment, I mean this moment in time, all right? The examination and judgment of God on your life at this very moment is going to be truer, absolutely truer, and probably kinder than that of your own judgment and other people's examination of your life. Amen. Okay? And there is so much freedom and rest in knowing this. And David knows it. And we need to know it today too. We don't need to, we need, we need to understand that our own self-examination, as even Paul says, I, I'm not justified by that. Like, we are actually sometimes really, really hard on ourselves. And so when we look in the mirror, we're like, how can, how can it be? Who am I? And, and the enemy then wants to come and says, yeah, pathetic. God doesn't love you. You don't love God. And then sometimes our, our own friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ look at our lives. And how accurate is their judgment? Well, it's, it's not truer than God's. How kind is their judgment? Well, a lot of times Christians are pretty harsh to one another when we're always examining everybody else's lives. Where can we go to find a true self-examination? Where can we go to find a kindness that isn't flattery, but it is just, it's, a lo it's, just, it's just loving, even on the bad things? Oh, we go to God, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind for your... So he's, he's, he's ran away for a second from his own integrity and his own trust and his own unwavering. For your faithful love guides me. David, listen, David is not nervous about God's examination. That's incredible to think about. David is not nervous at all about God's examination of his life. Why? Because of God's faithful love, not because of his own faithfulness. He's a faithful guy. But at the end of the day, his faithfulness is, faithfulness is like in his his integrity and his life and his, his that's not going to add up. But God's faithful love, when we think about God being faithful and God being love and good and kind and mercy and grace and true, man, then, then that's when we can really go to God. And so David says, I live by your truth. I mean, I'm living by your truth. 
I'm here because and if you're faithful love, Lord, you examine. So you make it right over there. You make that situation, situation right, Lord. Prove me to be in the right, Lord. Make me right, Lord. You, you know, I don't know, but you know. And then David, is as, as if David then goes on to kind of give some reasons that he deserves, vindic- I'm mean, saying that for lack of better phrasing, that he deserves vindication. David loves the presence of the Lord. David loves worshiping the Lord, and David loves worshiping the Lord in the house of God, and that's what he just says in verses 4 through 10. It's, it's like, because, Lord, make it right over there, make me right, and Lord, look at my life. I don't sit with the worthless or associate with the hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers. I do not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, Lord, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wondrous works. Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides. Do not destroy me along with sinners or my life along with men of bloodshed and whose hands are evil schemes and whose right hands are filled with bribes. He has nothing to do with these people. I, we read in uh, Jeremiah, I never sat with the band of revelers and I did not celebrate with them because your hand was on me. I sat alone for you filled me with indignation. Ah, oh, the life of, of godliness and holiness, is, it can be such a lonely life, which is why what we're doing right now is the most important thing that goes on in your life. The most important thing, and this is counterculture, and this is even counterculture in the church today, this is the most important thing you will do in your life is gather together to worship the triune God with the people of God. The most important thing you do is not going to be your alone private time. It's not going to be your evangelizing. It's not your your private, you know, alone time with your candle and your camera and your Instagram post about you reading the Bible in the morning. It's It's not any of that stuff. It's this stuff right here. This is it. This is it. And this is, this is another paradigm shift that needs to take place in our minds because we're just, we live in a hyper-individualistic culture and whatever's going on in the culture, it infects the church. And now everything is just out there. You just doing this and you doing that. And then this is just like, ah, if you can make it, put on your best clothes, come say hi to people, hear some good songs and leave. Get told to do three things, come back. We'll tell you to do three more things tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, but Sunday. And that's not what, this, I mean, this is it. Why? Why? Look, Lord, look at my life. I love to gather with the people of God at the house of God and worship you. I mean, when he's talking about not sitting with the worthless or associating, associating with the hypocrites or all that, or not sitting, he's not talking about like physically, I mean, physically he's not doing that, but he's talking about like living a life just surrounded with these people. He's not in that. Those aren't his people. His people are the people of God. That's not his place. His place is the place of God. And so again, he's not, Again, we already know he's grounding this all in God's faithful love because he's praying. I mean, if, if, if he thought he just absolutely was living a perfect life, knocking out of the park, he wouldn't even need to approach God. And so he just gives a little snapshot. Um, I mean, this reminds us of Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prosper. That, that's a picture of David. It's a picture of us. Ultimately, it's a picture of Christ. We'll get to that in a second. 
And just so we know for sure that David is ultimately, although he is saying, and we should be able to say as well, that we are living this godly life and we are being sanctified and we are not wavering and we are trusting and we are living lives with integrity. Ultimately, we're saying, Lord, Lord, it is your faithful love. Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need you to examine. I need you to make me right. Just so we know that that's ultimately what David is doing, we should be able to say all that, but look what David closes with, all right? Redeem me and be gracious to me. I live with integrity. (laughs) There it is again. But redeem me and be gracious to me. Save me. Grace. This is the psalm. Everything is about God's grace. God's grace is seen most wonderfully and magnificently in his redemption and salvation of sinners. Redemption and salvation is the ultimate grace. And so David knows that compared and contrasted, he's living this way. He's not living that way. He's doing this. He's not doing that, what the evildoers are doing. And yet at the end of the day, what is it? Redeem me and be gracious to me. Save me. And then David says, I'm I'm putting words in his mouth, but this shows you the confidence that David has. A prayer grounded in the word of God, the truth of God, the doctrine of God, being the character of God. A prayer grounded in the truth about his own life, all right, leads him a a prayer for mercy and grace and for redemption, a, a prayer for salvation, a prayer for to be made right, a prayer to be proved to be in the right. So he's got it out there. How does he end it? My foot stands on level ground. I will bless the Lord in the assemblies. There's confidence. He prays, and then he says, this is what I'm going to continue to do. David's resolve. Vindicate me. Examine me. I have worshipped you and given thanks to you. I have lived with integrity. Redeem me. Be gracious to me. I will continue to walk with integrity. I will continue to bless you. I mean, there's so much confidence there. And and I want to say, there's my prayer. Regardless of what you do, I'm going to just continue on to love you and to bless you, Lord. That's cool, okay? That's, That's kind of what I want to say, but that's not what David's saying. David knows that the Lord is going to redeem him. David knows that the Lord is going to save him. David knows that the Lord is going to be good to him and merciful to him and gracious to him. David knows that he is going to be proven to be right. David knows that he is going to be made right. David knows that it's all grounded on God's faithful love. And so he says, it's like he prays it and he's like, I I know God's going to answer this prayer. He is. How could he not? Therefore, my foot, I'm just going to go keep doing what I'm doing. And I love this quote from David or Dale Ralph Davis. Okay, sometimes, here's another little sentence that maybe this is the only thing you walk away from. It's a paradigm shift. Sometimes, after committing our case to God, there's no need to change how we've been living except to go on living that way. Maybe you need to realize that. Amid your troubles and your prayers, the Lord is not necessarily always calling you to higher ground or to heroic efforts. Maybe he simply wants you to go on walking in your wholeheartedness. Woo! I love it. 
There's no cheesy motivational speech coming from the pulpit. There's no looking in the mirror and doing this and doing 10 push-ups before you come to church so you get the blood flowing and your muscles showing. There's, there's none of this. There's no tightening your bootstraps. There's no suck it up, buttercup. There's this like, there's no like, I gotta, I gotta find a new church. I gotta find a new city. I gotta find a new woman. I gotta find a new man. I gotta get new kids. I, some major change has gotta happen in my life. And if, and if I can figure out what it is, God's going to bless me. No. 99% of your life, the answer to that is no. Keep plotting. Find the beauty in the mundaneness of life. Find the riches and the glory in getting up every day and loving the person that is next to you. Find the beauty and the, the glory in doing the dishes and taking out the trash and asking for repentance and praying for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation with one another. Find it. It's there for the taking. Find the beauty and the ordinary means of grace of praying together and singing together and hearing the word of God preached together and the, ta the table, doing, taking the table together. Find it or you'll just be chasing your tail your whole life. This whole God's got a great plan for your life is if you can just find it. Then, then, God's great plan for your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you didn't find it. It found you. Now just go put one foot in front of the other and just figure out every single day how, how to just find joy and peace and rest and just being a normal human being who loves God because God first loved you. There's no great mountain to climb. Why would there be a great mountain to climb after salvation? Why? It makes no sense. We didn't climb Mount Everest to get saved. God saved us. And he's not asking us now to climb a big mountain. He's asking you to just live a faithful life. Just be faithful to him. And so the application, all right? So, well, there, we just want to stay the course, just like David, all right? Here's the application. And, and the application is most just me telling you not what to do, all right, but what to know, what to believe, what to trust in what to receive, okay? Above all, David knows one thing. He knows that God is good. He knows he needs God's grace in this thing, whatever this thing is, this thing where he's being maligned, gossiped about, backbiting. People are making up and telling rumors. And we also know most of the time that's going on, people are wanting to kill David, all right? He knows that he's right, he wants God to prove him right, but he's no, he's not perfect. So he then is a, say, God, make me right. All right. Be gracious to me. That's his, and all that, that's all he wants is God's grace. And here's what's so incredible. Christ is the grace of God for David. The grace that he needs, the redemption that he desires, the being examined by God, but God being pleased with him. Where, how does it, it's Christ. Christ is the grace of God, and Christ is the grace of God for all of us. And so when we look at Psalm 26, and we know that David's not doing it perfectly, but he, he's doing, I mean, he's, let's admit it, he's doing a good job. Hey, you are too. You are too. God is pleased with you, dear brother and sister, all right? And we don't do Psalm 26 perfectly, right? No, but there's one who has.
It's Christ. And I'm just going to read this because this guy stole my words and he's smarter than I am. James Hamilton Jr. Uh, he's got a, 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 I, he's got two, volume one and volume two on a commentary on the Psalms, and it might be the most beautiful thing I have besides the Bible. Okay, I'm sorry, there's a book thing. There you go. All right. No one more, so he just is going to run through the Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, I'll try to quote the verses. This is so beautiful, all right? He's going to start in verse 1. No one has more deserved Yahweh's just vindication than Jesus. No one walked better in integrity than Jesus. No one trusted Yahweh more, and no one else could say that he never buckled, never wavered under pressure than Jesus. Jesus was perfected through what he suffered. He was tested. He was tried. He was refined to completion. Jesus kept the Lord's loving kindness before himself, walked in the Lord's truth, refused to sit with the wicked, and was innocent like no one else. Jesus gave thanks and caused the voice of thanksgiving to be heard. He celebrated and accomplished the Lord's wonders. And Jesus himself became the dwelling place of Yahweh's glory, tabernacling, tabernacling among us and causing God's glory to be seen. Jesus makes it so that the guilty can be acquitted, so that repentant sinners will not be swept away with the unrepentant sinners. Jesus walked in integrity to accomplish God's gracious redemption with the result that we stand on solid ground in the great assembly to bless the Lord. Wow, that's how you see Christ in the scriptures. It's not a magic trick. It's right there for the taking. And so because Christ, you can come up, Elijah, because Christ has lived Psalm 26 perfectly, and our righteousness is in Christ, we can cry out with Paul in Romans 8, if God is for us. Now, think of, the, think of the psalm. People are against him, all right? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. We don't have to worry about what they're saying. We don't have to worry about the situation over there and what, what people might think about us. Because we are in Christ. In Christ, we have been vindicated. May not see it in this life. We've been vindicated. In Christ, this is beautiful, we have been examined and been found not guilty. Incredible. In Christ, we have been examined and been found to be in the righteousness of Christ. In Christ, we have been redeemed. In Christ, we have received the graciousness of God. Dear Lord, redeem me and be gracious to me. And it's answered in Christ. And so today, we come after another week of bobbing and weaving, jabbing and stepping back, highs and lows, everything in between. Some of us, it's even worse than that. Some of us, it's, it's like we're uh, figuratively drowning, and we're just full of sorrow and grief. 
and we gather with the people of God here. Suck it up, buttercup. Repent, because you're probably doing whatever's going on in your life is probably because of sin. Do we hear a, condom, a message of condemnation? Do we get told to do three things and how to be a better person? No. We hear about Christ and his life and his death and his righteousness and his goodness and his mercy and his grace on our behalf. And so we just, just it might be for today, we just start doggy paddling. We get our, by the grace of God, we get our head up out of the water for a few for a few hours, for a day. We rest, rest in the person and work of Christ. God has indeed been gracious to us. Let us, with Elijah, bless the Lord in the assemblies. Amen?